Welcome to the Washdown Podcast, episode 90. And tonight, James and I are talking with Tabitha and Corey Parrott. Um, they have a great story. We had a great time uh, making this episode. And I hope you have as much fun listening to it as we had making it. So, without further ado, here is episode 90 with special guests Tabitha and Corey Parrott. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't have like a like a uh, little audience outside just like well peep it through the he, I was like just come on out I was telling my partner I said come on come on out if you want to oh yeah I, I might be out <laughs> what are you doing I'm not going out there with that lame ass <laughs> come on do a guest spot <laughs> <laughs> well guys thanks for coming on thanks for having us Tabitha Corey Yes. Welcome to the Washdown Podcast. We are very, very happy. Um, so yeah, I had reached out to you, Tabitha. I got I've known you what, like nine years, ten years now. Whenever you started the hospital. Nine years, God damn. Oh, <laughs> you getting old, buddy? That whole, that whole thing of getting old. It, yeah. it, it's more and more these days. <laughs> Back before we were both medics and oh, life was gosh. easy. Many empty life. Um. So yeah, guys, welcome. Um. We'll start off, you know, just introduce your guys, introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about you, no uh, time limit. Okay. You want to you start? Me no. Start? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I'm Tabitha Parrott. Um, I am in EMS. I uh, I have been a paramedic for six years now, a little over six years. I was an EMT for a few years before that. Um, EMS, I call it kind of my, my second life because before that I was all, it was all about agriculture. I was going to be a vet. That's what I was going to do growing up. I spent high school and college working outside, working for vets, working, taking care of cattle. And then I had a, a life-changing experience. My brother was in a motorcycle crash. That was in 2011. That was uh, June 13th of 2011. And he was on his way to my house that day. And um, that day I decided I wanted to be a paramedic. So that's it. That's, that's the story. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that was riveting. Yeah. It's, it's a little different. A lot of detail. Yeah, it's a little different than the last time we talked. <laughs> There's a, there are very many layers to that story. There's a lot of, of things that went into me wanting to be in EMS. Um, he was injured very, very significantly. He lost his right leg completely. Um, he had open fractures. He was, it was... The most, to this day, the, the most traumatic injury that I, injuries that I have seen on a patient that lived. Um, and he did live. He was in the hospital for four months and he ended up coming home. Um, but life was, life as we knew it was over. That was it. Um, and I do, I remember when we were in the hospital, people telling us that we would always have uh, the time before the crash and the time after the crash. We would always talk about that as a family. And we do. We'll say well, before the crash and then, you know, in the hospital and we refer to things in that time of life. And looking back, I, it, it, it was so formative for who I am as a person and, uh, what I have done in EMS and the, the reasons that I got an EMS and it shapes the care that I give. And it's not about my brother. Um, my brother was the, the star player in, in that, um, part of life, but it's, it's about me. It changed my story significantly my whole family's story and i am um thankful in a way that we went through that because i wouldn't be the person that i am without that it steered me towards this field and i have found so much passion um for this field 
and I love it. Um, I work at a somewhat rural agency. We do a lot of long distance transports. We have a lot of medications, lots of tools. We get to do um, so many really incredible things for patient care. I worked at a hospital, uh, level one trauma, in a large city before that for about five years. Um, and there's been a lot of ups and downs in, in between. So that's kind of me. I have um, my husband and we have two boys. They are eight and almost 11. And they are very busy boys. They keep us going when we're not at work. So your turn. Which isn't very often. Which is not very often. <laughs> uh, so Corey Parrott, I grew up in uh, West Central Missouri, graduated from high school, went to the Army, did a, a couple days shy of seven years in the Army, um, spent a lot of time in the Army, a lot of time uh, gone, um, did a year in Korea, came back, spent a couple of years in Oklahoma, went to Alaska, and then on to Afghanistan from Alaska, came back from Alaska. Got out of the army. 2014. Um, tried to go do some cop work. They're like, oh, we don't want you yet. So I matured a little bit, grew grew a little bit. Worked in a factory for a couple of years. It's like, holy smokes! They're getting ready to lay me off. There was 25 people laid off below me. So I was like, well, this isn't really going to work. So I was like, well, I'm going to just. Try to go to college, start the GI Bill. I could draw on unemployment and the GI Bill and make enough to live. So I at that time I had both boys. Um, so started the application process again for the agency that I currently work for. Got got in. Um, it's just kind of all been been. That's all it's been from there. It's been hit the ground running. Um, and all I ever want to do is be a cop. Um, my grandpa was a cop. He's the only sheriff. If if you hear him tell it, or if you got to hear him tell it, he's the only sheriff's deputy in the whole county. Thirty nine taverns, just him, <laughs> in his like sixty seven Chevelle. I got a picture of it somewhere, but yeah, that's, hey, a, that's a badass it, cop car right there. Big, yeah, yeah. So he. Uh, so that was like his, that's what everybody knows him for. It's what everybody knew him for. And when my dad passed away this last year, I met up with, uh, with his, the sheriff that he worked under, met up with this, this lady and she's like, Oh my gosh. And so I stopped by her house. I haven't stopped by to get pictures yet, but I stopped by there in a, in a work capacity one time. And, uh, so yeah, so all I ever want to do is be a cop. So here I am living my dream. How'd you guys meet? Oh, man. At work. Gonna, at work. At work. At work. We met on a crash scene. We met on a crash scene. Oh, yeah. Were you guys actually doing your jobs or just too dumbfounded with each other? Uh, I was doing my job. Yeah. <laughs> Promise you. We have, we have different perspectives on that day. She was standing there yeah. with her hands on her hips. Well... Oh, she was, was doing a, the paramedic yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. the... Uh, you guys go over there and do uh, something. Yeah. And I was the second unit. So what do you do as a second unit, you know? It's like, yeah. oh, wow, shoot. Uh, what can I do for you guys? <laughs> Damn, would you look at that? I, yeah. yeah, so so usually I'm, if I call anybody 
when I'm working, I always block my phone number. Oh, I'm like, gosh. She's going to get romantic. Yeah. So I always block my phone number so nobody can call me back. I don't want a bunch of yahoos having my phone number. So I was like, oh, That's fair. I'm not going to unblock this one. Called her. She didn't answer. So I texted her. I was like, yo. I got that oh, info I you saw. Need. I have the screenshot of the text. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> it's Corey. And then, well, and then I called him back because I was like, oh, he must be interested. We have a conversation. He was every bit of law enforcement you could possibly be. And I was like, he is not interested in me at all. Yeah. Okay. But anyways. Very professional. But we worked a couple more um I made her stand in the rain. He did make me stand in the rain one Soaking time. Soaking wet. Outside of his car window, um, waiting for him to write down a number for me or something for some patient that I was taking care of. I don't know. Can you ask that officer for blah, blah, blah? Oh, yes, I absolutely will. So I got to his car, and it's raining. Not just like Oh, it's sprinkling. raining. It's raining. <laughs> and I was like, it's fine. You're fine. You can. And he, it's, he's, the rain's coming in good his cops car. Don't, good cops don't get wet. Hungry or cold? Ryan's coming in his car, so he—he's. Oh, let me write this down. He rolls his window up, <laughs> and I'm like, "It's fine. Take your time." <laughs> what? So I mean, so after, we're going to cause a divorce so, here on this. So, podcast. you know what? To give I've you a timeline, that night he added me on Facebook, <laughs> so I knew he was serious. Oh. Yeah. Wow. yeah. For, for work purposes, yeah. just in case you know. Yeah. Keep those communication lines. If, if AT and T goes out, you know you still got you. You, you know, know still got person that might let us down. So yeah. we, yeah, got to keep those interagency relationships um, healthy. <laughs> it worked. It <laughs> worked. We don't talk about our relationship either. <laughs> yeah, I think there for a while I was like the, uh, oh, like the inner like. I'm the, sitting uh, over here wondering what he's going to say. No, like the interagency, like uh, it was like the liaison. Something like that. Oh. I not not they made it up. Yeah, it was made up. My coworkers still to this day don't think he likes them. I don't. <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Come to my house and fight me. <laughs> when he when he works crashes or anything, he it he doesn't socialize. I so don't have he, time. I have. So work if he to gets do. up in the ambulance, if he's standing there, he's probably not going to talk to you. And that is hey, translated. Or I'm you know going to make fun of you. <laughs> you know what, though? Also I, possible. I applaud that, though, because I think there's a severe lack of professionalism. There very much is. That and is a, uh, I, I actually applaud that. So good that's job. That's a very good point. Thanks. We talk about that actually a lot. Yeah. Professionalism, professionalism is a lost art in our field. It absolutely is, 100%. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> there's time to lean, there's time to clean. Sure. Now you guys uh decently early in your relationship you guys had a pretty good test. I um, think you decided to try and die. Oh. I did. Yeah. I did. I I didn't know we were gonna go PG. there. Continue. Gonna, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. So my, my heart stopped. Um and I have a little pacemaker here that I keep very close to my heart. Do you There's no to- other place to put it. <laughs> do you do you want to hear the whole story about what he yeah, had yeah, to yeah, say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, this, yeah, is yeah. this is my favorite part. <laughs> so I had gotten up. I was getting ready for work. It's 5.30 oh, in the morning. He was asleep. He had worked until 11, 9, 4. And I was um, getting ready to go to the hospital. I was still working in the hospital at the time. 
I didn't feel not all the time, but I did not. I kept every time I'd stand up, I got dizzy. Oh, I didn't feel good. Didn't feel good. And I was trying to power through it. And I sat down on the kind of on the vanity in the bathroom to try to put my makeup on. And I'd put I'd put some foundation on and it would sweat off. I was like, okay, something is not right. God, I got drunk last night. <laughs> she did, though. That's the thing. She, they had Galentine's night, and she's all half-cocked. I didn't Yeah, get whenever drunk. I got home from work. <laughs> I don't know. There was a couple empty bottles of rum chata and an angry orchard sitting on my nightstand. I don't even, I don't really know which version of the story you're... Uh, no, continue. I mean, yeah. you were medically incapacitated. Yeah. Mm. So, um, so, I didn't feel great. I was moving on with my day, and I, I thought, okay, if I could just get off of this vanity and just sit down on the edge of the bathtub or somewhere, so you know, get myself together, and I stepped down off the vanity, I went to turn, and that's about the last thing I remember, and I face-planted, and it was a very small bathroom, um, and I hit the... I was paying $450 a month for this apartment. It was a little... Maybe, it maybe was a, 500 It was a little bit of a dark... Dark, dark time in our. Um, no, it wasn't. It was good. It was good. Yeah, it was a small, very, very small bathroom. Not a lot of room. Intimate. I face planted into the toilet seat. I broke the toilet seat off. Um, and I. Had you didn't break the toilet seat off. Some. I broke something. Your teeth. I definitely broke my face. <laughs> I had pieces of teeth. Oh. Everywhere, blood, everywhere. Um, I remember looking at my watch when I was stepping down, and. When I woke up, which I'm thankful that I did, it had been six minutes. So, I laid there for six minutes, um, unconscious. When I woke up and got my bearings enough to look back at my watch, which I did immediately, I was like, oh. And I was shaking, just horrible. And I I reached up to my face because it hurt. And I had pieces of teeth and blood and uh, my nose. Oh, I smoked my nose. And I I was in... Uh, I was in bad shape. And I got up. I don't know. I could have yelled for help probably, but I got up and I stumbled in to wake him up. Um, I needed help. (laughs) I was crying. I was distraught. I knew my teeth were busted off again. And when I say again, I mean, (laughs) it happened before. (laughs) You see, (laughs) there's a very special time in your life. It's called paramedic school. And you leave all of the brain cells that you do not need before and you hope that they're there when you get done (laughs) and you only use the brain cells needed to get through the paramedic program that's it the end and that's what i did um and so what i did when i passed out before is i woke up thankfully my dog was laying on top of me frantic because i was dead for a minute and i woke up and i was like oh i better go get checked out so i went to the station and put myself on the monitor and it Mind you, I was in paramedic school, so I was pretty good. You're qualified for this. I was pretty good. Expert. I was like, oh, that's normal sinus. So I didn't see anything wrong. But my teeth were broken, so I went and got those fixed. And then I proceeded on with my life. So I was fine then. But then it happened again, and I was like, okay, we're going to get it fixed this time. So I asked my now husband. Um, he was my boyfriend at the time. We hadn't been dating very long. It was... It was nearly a year. Yeah, less than a year, 10 months, which isn't very long. (laughs) Um, But I asked him if he would mind taking me to the hospital. And he said, that was fine, but could we stop um, so he could get a coffee first? And I was like, that is fine. We did that. I needed needed gas, too. 
I need a gas for my truck. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. But we got donuts and coffee. Did you bill her at least? Yeah. My teeth at this point weren't fitting together right. <laughs> Something was wrong with my jaw, my front teeth. The, the the tooth that I had had fixed was shoved back and my teeth my teeth weren't... It, things were not good. They were not good. And my face was in in shambles. But we got to the hospital um, and they said... The doctor said... Hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're missing a very, very, very... Okay, never mind. Don't say anything. That's fine. Sounds like you're missing a very important part of the story. Can you edit this? No. Uh, he was terrified when I came stumbling and crying that I was going to tell him I was pregnant. <laughs> That's reasonable. Yeah, yeah. That's reasonable. Yeah. You can A child see, out of wedlock. You can Come see on. the details of this story will... Lack ex- of professionalism. We just talked about that. Yeah. Yes. The details of this story will explain to you how he wasn't sure about me yet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take you to the hospital, but do you mind if we get donuts and coffee first? That's fine. I get that. <laughs> But thank you. But I don't have another ride well, right now. Well, he's a cop. He's got to get a donut to start his day. Yeah. So we, we, got, uh, we got on down the road. We got to the hospital. The doctor checked me out. He's like, hey, you've got a prolonged QT. You've got a couple of weird things on your EKG. Um, we're going to keep you. We're going to keep you in the hospital. And that blew my mind. I couldn't believe he was going to admit me. I mean, I we needed just to needed... fix the face, too. Well, I just needed my face fixed. <laughs> we're not there yet. <laughs> I just need my face fixed. It wasn't going to be a big deal. But they kept me for six days, and they ran every test known to man. They ran, they made me do the stress test. Um, we did EEGs and EKGs multiple times. They come in the middle of the night to do EKGs, wake me up, stick me with needles, mm. all kinds of awful things. And the worst one, um, MRIs, MRAs, it was awful. All my tissues were fine. All my vessels were fine. All my everything was looked fine. Um, the worst one was the tilt table test. When they did the tilt table test, they told me, they put pads on me and they said, I said, well, what are we going to do if it stops again? And they were like, well, we'll we'll get it started. It'll be fine. I said, (laughs) and you're the second guest who's had an issue with the tilt table. Oh, I had a significant issue. They told me I set a record. So if your other guests said that they were wrong, I'm, (laughs) I'm the one that has the record. They and in under three minutes, my heart stopped again. They told me to just let them know how I was feeling and to just talk to them. So they tilted me back to 70 degrees, and I lay there for a little bit less than three minutes. My arms strapped down to this table, and I'm looking around. and I said, I don't feel good. I don't. And I got to where when my heart stops, since it's happened a couple times, I can tell you how it feels. My my speech starts to go, everything starts to go, and it's like somebody's just putting their hands over my head, and I can't see, and I can't control my body, and I, it's awful. And I look sideways, and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> I'm running out of words. And I saw that my heart had gone down to 28, and that was the lowest I saw it, and then I went unresponsive. <laughs> and I woke up, and they were sternal rubbing me, which hurts. If you haven't been sternal rubbed before, it hurts. See, I feel like in EMS, like just like... They have to get, like, tased. Uh, we, we should, should have to be sternal rubbed. Yeah. <laughs> I have been. Um, they sternal rubbed me. They smacked me in the face. Um, Sweetie, we need you to wake up. <laughs> Yo, bitch, I'm trying. <laughs> I do know. It was awful. And uh, I it just I just braided it down to it stop. So I don't know what they were going to do with those pads. I have no shockable rhythms present. So, so that thank you for putting those on. It's a good show of support. <laughs> but... They're so, the old show yeah, code. Yeah. Hollywood. We're going to precordial thump you. Okay. So, um, which they might have. I don't know. <laughs> I was dead. 
so that night, um, mind you, my face is still in disarray and my teeth are broken. I look like I came from a suspicious place. And Corey had been supposed to work, uh, but he came up that night. I was very pleased that he came up that night. And he brought his computer with him. He was working on stuff next to my bed. He's sitting there, and the cardiologist comes in the room late that night to talk to us, kind of give us the results and whatever. I, I know the results. And he kind of, he sits down, and he's just very solemn. He's very no, you know, bedside manner, just tells us what's going on. This is blah, 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 blah. Uh, your heart is doing this. You're going to get a pacemaker tomorrow. And I was like, oh, Okay. So I'm trying to absorb all this information. And I hadn't looked at him. He's kind of sitting over it's here. It's not like you're getting an augmentation. No. Like, yeah. like you don't have a choice. Fine. Like you're getting it, one. It wasn't an optional. Yeah, it was not an optional procedure. So he's sitting over here to the, my left. And I had not looked at him through the through the cardiologist talking to us. And we're sharing this together. Supportive couple, you know. We're sharing this, bearing this burden together. And the cardiologist finally walks out. And I got little tears just starting. And I'm like, just like taking it all in. My teeth still don't fit together, so what's going on? I had trouble making eye contact with her that week because it was so bad. <laughs> you just kiss so me. Bad. It was real bad. So I look over I'm at a him. Horrible, I'm a horrible You don't even person. know how horrible. Wait. Hold I on. looked over at oh, him. Oh, wait. There's more. To just kind of see his reaction. And he, he's, reaching towards me with his, he's reaching towards me with his hand, which I, at first I thought he was reaching to, to, to take my hand, to like hold hands. It support me, and it was here. Can you do this? And it was like this, and I was like, and he shakes, my, he shakes my hand, and he goes, "It's been real nice getting to know you and your family." And 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 he doesn't even break expression, and my mouth hung. I already had tears, and the problem. I mean, I ended up married to him, so apparently, I I go with it. I laughed. I laughter is my stress response sometimes. And I was reeling from the information and my mouth is hanging open and I was like like silent laughing with tears running down my face. And I'm just like And he just sits there, just like this. Stoic. So I yeah, I got a pacemaker the next day. It was rough. <laughs> did, he, did he show back up? He did. I yeah. didn't even leave. You didn't leave. You didn't leave. And I was supposed to work that night too. He was. And they took me into surgery like three hours late. It was it was awful. And then when I came out of uh, surgery, I was screaming. And when he came, I don't do good with anesthesia, it turns out. And when he came to, to the um, recovery room, <laughs> and I saw him and I was like, you're supposed to be at work. She I makes was, that face every time. I was so distressed that he wasn't at work because they needed him. I will say, probably the most memorable. So her sister oh, went gosh. and her sister went and got like just like some like tank tops and like a sports bra, just like restore uh, a little bit I of her dignity. Taken, I had no dignity. And uh, mm. and like some some shorts and. Her lips were so dry. Try to she's make me like, feel pretty. Yeah, her lips were so dry. Well, she's not like got a mirror in front of her, and so she has like this chapstick. I thought it was lips. It was like you know, just like chapstick. So she's like you know, all chapped up or whatever, and she just like smears it all, all over. And this stuff is as red as this chair. <laughs> 
and she's got and it. I it looked like she let know. her niece put the <laughs> lip. It's but it was nobody told lipstick. me. It was like chapstick brand lipstick. And like nobody told me. So a little she looked like a ledger clown. in the dark night. <laughs> yes, and I yes. was just, <laughs> and I was pale. I had no makeup, no mascara, nothing. Broken teeth, and I'd smile. <laughs> face only a mother can love awful <laughs> he didn't love me at the time he liked me but he didn't love me <laughs> not true we've been through a lot <laughs> but he's still here so so in all fairness Corey, what was like what was realistically looking back on it now going through your mind with all that was it the what the fuck did i get myself into or was it your, I thought like, you were gonna ask what no, made him love me no i was like man we're here at the hospital like they're gonna figure it out like we're not gonna leave till they figure it out. Like, I, di- I didn't have like any like, oh my gosh, this is my life. Like, anymore. Like, I, I didn't. I wasn't gonna be like. He I knew is- she wasn't gonna be wheelchair bound. Like, I knew that she was like there with professionals. I had complete faith in the he professionals. He is practical that were- to a fault. What are you gonna do? Oh, that's a good point. What? Nothing. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, like, you know, it's not sustainable to just check yourself out ama <laughs> that wasn't an option so i was like pay for medical insurance just figure it out like be fine. i wouldn't i guess i i just yeah. i don't think anybody's ever asked you that no that's a good question i like that one yeah i mean i just yeah we're we're there we're got some of the best doctors at least in the state but you know why? Why not get get it taken care of? Like, I was, yeah, I put a lot of faith in them. I guess <laughs> and didn't think about it much. <laughs> I mean, that's that's fair though. Like, well, and we have a we have a pretty strong uh, language of sarcasm in our relationship. That's just who we are. We're cynical. We're sarcastic sometimes to the point where we have to go. Okay, um, can you be serious for just a minute? Because we will we will go to the, the a fault. And there was a time in, in the hospital when my sister, my brother-in-law, my family, uh, my nieces were there all over me. There was so many people that, that came and supported me. I had flowers all over the place. I had I had so many people checking on me, which was wonderful. I remember I walked in. I was like, go. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was rough. Um, but there was a time that I there was all kinds of commotion going on. My nieces were on my lap. And I was sitting there thinking about what was going on. And nobody in the room was paying attention to me except for him. And that is one thing that sticks out in our relationship. I'm not sure that I probably ever told you that because I don't, we don't do sappy. We just don't do that. <laughs> but that is one thing that sticks out to me. It's kind of maybe a top five moment that he was paying attention to me. And everybody else was like, we're fine. Everything's good. We're going to stay positive. We're going to figure this out. And I'm just, I just needed like a little bit of quiet. And there was no quiet. And I just, I, again, had just a tear. And he just came over and he didn't even, nobody else even realized that I was having that moment because there was too much commotion. But he did. He didn't talk to me about it. He didn't say anything. He just moved where he was in the room and sat where he was closer to me. And I just, we just went on. But that's, that's part of the dynamic of our relationship too. We will, you will go just to the ends of cynicism and smart-ass talk. And then when we need each other, that's what's there. And that was what was there in that hospital. So it was a very rough time in my life, a little bit of a rough time in our relationship, 
Um, but not because we didn't, we didn't deal with it properly just because we weren't sure how we were going to deal with it yet. Well, that's why I'm curious. Like you guys are already like 10 months is that like, Hey, we, I mean, we're still here. So clearly we like each other. We probably love each other, but we're still getting like, now we're, we're learning the fine. We're fine tuning each other. And all of a sudden it's like, yo bitch, guess what? Here's something new. Like how, how do you like in a relate when you find your groove, and, and then, then it groove, changes. And then your groove has changed. How, how did you guys adapt to that? And something else about the hospital is that was the easiest part. Because when I came home from surgery, we were getting ready to move. And we were just moving in together. And we, I wasn't able, I was on a restriction. I couldn't lift over 10 pounds for a month. Um, and I went through, and I don't talk about this either. <laughs> ever. But I went through um, a significant solid year or more of some really bad depression moments, dark, sometimes pulling the curtains, laying in bed, crying under the covers. He'd come, he'd say, you want to go to the gym? And I just start crying for no reason. And after some research and kind of looking into it, I have learned that sometimes when you go through a heart surgery, you, you suffer from anxiety, depression, things that are completely different than anything you've ever been through. And I was trying to learn how to deal with that with someone that it was still a fairly new relationship. That's going to knock on the intimacy too. Like it's- it, it knocked on everything, and we have um, our our boys. His he we came into this relationship. He had he had a couple boys to come into, and so I was learning how to be. I don't have any biological kids of my own. I was learning how to be a stepmom. I was learning how to be um, a good partner. I was learning a lot of things as far as us goes, and trying to figure out what was going on with me. And I had to be off work for three months, which was absolutely miserable for me i don't know how to not work <laughs> and i hated it um it was rough as far as how did we navigate it how did how did, how did we navigate it <laughs> one day at a time patience yeah it no it, it was rough but it was also nice to have you at home <laughs> quite often more than <laughs> it, was nice. it was nice to be at home it was nice to be at home tricked <laughs> I think giving each other a lot of grace was the biggest is is every day the biggest way that we maintain we are a we are a pretty unique relationship but um relationship troubles are not unique to us everybody has their own um brand of unique and for us it is our schedules. It is the challenges of our jobs and our different positions. Um, the ways that we feel when we come home from work. The things that we say to each other when that energy was probably meant for someone else. <laughs> that negative energy. <laughs> um, we absorb a lot of him probably more than me. He absorbs a lot of negativity that I bring home um, that I won't display at work i think that's what i do probably more often than not that's a that's a bad habit that i have and i come home and i vent and i am tired and i'm grumpy and i'm trying to decompress from everybody needing me at work and everything that went on and it is it is sometimes i don't always i don't always deal with it very well that's for sure what's usually your thought process when she kind of comes home like that I 
I don't, man. I don't. Listen, I'm like a, I'm like a very like. Sometimes I'll I'll meet her where she's at. Sometimes ready to go fight. Today, other people. Today he said, "Let's just go fight. Yeah. Let's go find somebody let's to go, fight. Let's go find somebody to fight." I don't. I, I, I don't. I don't, advocate, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't advocate that. Yeah. Um, oh, I totally advocate that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think probably in our fields. I don't know, twenty, twenty-five years ago. Yeah, that would have been all right. And you know what? You fight somebody and just get it all out of your system. <laughs> yeah, and it's over and done with. Yeah, yeah. But, Shake hands afterwards, and yeah. you know, agree to disagree, or somebody changes their ways. Yeah, yeah. So um, I don't know. I just kind of brushed off, let her decompress. I don't really. I mean, sometimes you know, it's like, well. Yeah, you've been gone for three or four or five or seven days of this week, and it's like you're bringing all that crap back here to the house. And I just, I don't know. I, I probably meet her where she's at more often than not, and instead of probably showing her the, you know, understanding. Probably I could probably do a lot better, but. I don't. So so could I. (laughs) I don't. So, um, you know, I usually meet her where she's at, which I don't advocate. (laughs) Um, Probably waste some negative, waste some energy on on negative stuff. But I don't know. It's I don't take anything personally. Like you have to really hurt my feelings for it. For me to take it personally, like I've got pretty thick skin, and I just it is what it is. You know. There's not very many people that there's not very many relationships um, that could I don't think that could uh, last through the things that we put ourselves and each other through because the fields that we have chosen are not easy, and that's not that's not from a oh nobody else could do this. That's just. This is what we've chosen because we love it and we couldn't, I don't know if I could live without it. <laughs> Sometimes I try to remind her. Somebody told me this whenever I, was, whenever I was in training. He said, you will love this job, but it will not love you back. And that stuck with me. And it's like, man, like just leave that crap there is what I want to tell her all the time. But I know that sometimes I'm the only outlet that she's got. Um, and I try to not let the things out to in places that I shouldn't. There's a lot that I carry around with me and I, it is nearly impossible for me to leave the job at work because it's so much a part of who I am. And I know that to a point we got to leave the job at work. That's part of it. You got to keep your family life safe and healthy. And I absolutely believe that. But I also believe that for me to be the person I am at work, I have to truly love it. And if you, if, as much as I truly love it, it becomes part of my identity who I am on an everyday basis if somebody calls me off duty I don't take it as a I'm not on duty it's not my responsibility it's if somebody calls me and they have when I'm at home when I'm at you know whatever at the gym they will be in an ambulance taking care of a patient and they will want to bounce something off me they'll have me I will hear them on speakerphone hey can you look up this dose for me can you this can you that what do you think about this? Now we trained on this last week. And I want that. I love that I am a safe place for people to come and ask questions and opinions and whatever. I, I absolutely 
love to be that person for people because I know how valuable it was for me to have those people. Sometimes it's when I am at the gym with him and we don't have a whole lot of those opportunities. And he's like, <sighs> yeah, I'm not very good at it. Like, how, how, is your deep, pain. how is his deep size? Does he have like, uh, a pretty good deep size? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. I, I didn't, I, today I didn't pull my headphones out of my ears one time. At the I gym. shoved them in there, and we didn't speak at the gym. Got to work. You know, it's there. it's interesting though when you guys truly put it out on paper. You guys entered in this relationship with your boxes already so full. You know, with your background in EMS and all the the trauma and the calls and the experiences you had, the experiences with your brother. You know, Corey, with you and, you know, having two kids already, getting a Purple Heart, you're, you're experiencing your stress with the factory, going into law enforcement. You guys, you guys are already pretty close to the edge and you're like, hey, you want to combine your shit show with my shit show? I see your dysfunction <laughs> and I'll raise you mine. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, that, that's what's interesting to me is like how well you guys have just not pushed each over each other over the edge when you, you guys Nobody were already just so... Else. We'll keep either of us. We are it. <laughs> but I do want to talk about your history in the military and kind of how it shaped you. What was your going in? What was your reasoning? You know, tell me a little bit about your experience while you were there. Man, so I joined the army because if I didn't join the army, I it was good. It was good for me. Um, I didn't grow up in a really good home, um, you know, contrary to, you know, my, so my grandpa was a, deb- a deputy for a long time, but uh, after a while he decided that he was arresting people for the same things that he was doing, so he was like, well, I'm just going to go on and get out of here. He had a bad drinking problem or whatever, so, um, but anyways, my, uh, so I was raised by two drug addicts and I had to get out of there, so. That was what I did. I disconnected like my entire childhood and went to the army. And I mean, I came home a lot, but you know, I got married once before at a really young age. Which, but uh, and you know, I just was like, man, I just want to like have some kids. Like, I want to like break this cycle. So I did, and I think I did. I I know I did. Um, but I mean, I just. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't see myself, you know, falling in the same trap of everybody else. I mean, everybody else back home still doing things that they were doing before, you know, I've got, I've got one close friend that I kept from high school and, uh, he's successful. Um, and that's, and that's it. I had to, like I said, I had to get, I had to get away from, from home, um, to really kind of establish who I was as a person. So did the army thing, went to Korea for a year. That was, uh, that was, that was different. Um, I don't like much rice. I don't like to eat a lot of rice, (laughs) uh, but I was terrified of getting in trouble. So I didn't do all the things that all the soldiers did in Korea. Like I didn't go out and get drunk all the time. I didn't blow my money. You know, I just kind of, I think Hulu was like just popping off back then. So I streamed a lot of shows, watched a lot of like paranormal activity stuff, like just weird stuff, just weird stuff. Cause I didn't have anything to do and I didn't want to be out in town doing the things that other people were doing. 
seen a little bit of the countryside. I did that stuff. Uh, learned my job really well. And got out of Korea. Went to Oklahoma. So I wasn't too far away from home. Far enough that somebody can't just pop in. But close enough I can get home if there's an emergency. So uh did that for two and a half years. Um, and got orders to go to Alaska. I was, I was, uh, and at that time, you know, my oldest boy was, was, uh, he wasn't born yet, but he was close. So went up to Alaska, tried to get my orders changed. They're like, I uh, know we really need you. So I was like, well, I'm going to war. So I went to, went to Afghanistan. I was there for 10 months. I got, I got there a little late. Um, caught up with the guys worked in the battalion headquarters for a little bit and then they're like hey we think we got a spot for you down here on line company with the infantry so i went down there um worked with those guys uh you know tried to do the best i could um i was a forward observer so in an infantry platoon there's a one forward observer for the platoon it calls in directs uh, mortars artillery uh, helicopters, airplanes, drones, that stuff. Um, so I went down there, did that, uh, in 2011, uh, I was getting ready to go, go home, uh, come home, my oldest boy had just been born, he was born on Halloween while I was over there, so, of course, then self-preservation kicks in, you're like, man, my gosh, gotta just get like I, I just I got to make it to Christmas I was going home over Christmas and got to make it to Christmas so I made it to Christmas uh, well but two days before my roommate was uh, supposed to go home on leave he got killed um, stepped on an IED him and my lieutenant both stepped on IEDs uh, I think my lieutenant stepped on no Calvin stepped on the first one and then uh, lieutenant stepped on the second one and like both of them like Calvin's screaming as he gets on the helicopter lieutenants looks about dead uh as he's getting loaded up on the helicopter uh, Calvin dies from some internal bleeding and stuff that was going on uh back in Kandahar uh lieutenant takes 450 units of blood and lives they had to call back and say hey what's his blood type because he has so much blood in him they put out a big uh Message on the speaker there at Ken Hart Airfield um, said, hey, if you're X, Y, and Z, blood type, whatever, uh, come on down, give some blood. You really need it. So, But he he made it, uh, but it wasn't, and he's still still alive. Uh, he's amputated, you know, real super high. Uh, so, but he's living a good life now. So, got out of the Army. Well, I went back to Alaska, got out of the Army in 2014, and uh, I started doing some factory work. You got a Purple Heart as well, right? Yeah, so before, so in, oh gosh, my memory escapes me, in September, so Calvin got killed uh, November 12th, 2011. Um so, first big mission before we moved, we ended up moving, taking over another 
another battalion's area. Um, we did a, we were doing a clearing operation. It was like going to be like a week long. Um, get their air assault in, well, just get set down out in the middle of the desert. And then we walk into this town, horrible suck fest, like three days worth of water. Well, you carry radio. So you need like three ish days worth of batteries. So I don't know. It's pretty heavy. Uh, so we were getting ready to bed down for the night. We were trying to find a place we could sleep. So usually what we do is we just go find a family and say, Hey, we're going to take your, we're going to pay you some money and take your, take your house for the evening. Well, whenever we talk to this kid, he's like, well, I got to go ask my granddad and my dad. Well, this Taliban. So they, he went out and tipped off dad and grandpa and whoever else and whatever they start shooting at us no big deal then uh i don't know there it it remains unclear what was uh fired at us but what was fired at us or was whether it was an ied i don't know there's some word that might have been an ied but there's also a word that there's a big uh recoilless rifle out there so i don't know we Stepped on something. We were doing a map check. We were meeting up with the uh, uh, lieutenant. So I was with the platoon sergeant. So it was, so there's nobody's gonna hate on. Don't hate on me for this. But they're like the five most important people in a platoon are the platoon leader, the platoon sergeant, the radio operator, the forward observer, the medic, and the weapons squad leader. Well, everybody but the medic took some shrapnel. Uh, I took a small i probably was injured the least out of everybody else but uh took a small piece of shrapnel on my neck um so yeah we were pretty much combat ineffective after that so we got medevaced and then our buddies finished the rest of the mission they got pretty messed up uh they combined with another platoon and finished the mission and from what i hear it was pretty crappy it was horrible like I mean, there. I mean, guys were stepping on IEDs. Uh, it was just bad, bad week, bad week for the for the Bobcats and the Rage Platoon. But it was uh, that was it. Yeah, it sucked. I'm guessing, obviously, with your upbringing, or maybe lack of, you're pretty resilient to start with. What was it like losing your roommate, Calvin? Uh, man, so that kid, whenever I got there, I was, I was a sergeant whenever I got down that platoon and so, but I, you know, I told, I told myself, I was like, man, I don't have nothing to prove to anybody, but him and I, we were roommates. He's a radio operator. Um, you know, bunk mates real close together, whatever he helped me with stuff. I helped him. Dude always had like the best attitude in the world. Like it was, and I think he, he, before he got killed, he'd been promoted to team leader and uh he was man he's just a good kid um you know his never never moaned or groaned or complained about anything it was just like you know and, and it and even more you know as it got closer time for me to go home it's like man what are we doing this dumb stuff for like because i didn't really i mean i'm not gonna say the worst like it wasn't. It was all for nothing, and you know, I'm, I'm not gonna because that's not the case. That's not what I believe in. But um, 
you know, like of all people, like we could have we could have left that kid back so he could make it home. You know, was, uh, you know, at least to see his his family. His uh, his family really relied on him a lot. Uh, he, you know, he'd send money back home. He had some younger brothers, and so, I think he had a younger brother. He was like, the, and he had a couple other brothers that were in the army too. And so I mean, he really helped his mother out, and it was just yeah. I mean, it was it was sad, uh, you know, especially whenever you put him on the helicopter and he's, you know, grabbing for your hand, screaming and whatever. But you know, we were all, I don't know, I'm not. There was a lot of guys that did a lot of good work that day. Um, you know, nothing can't take anything away from them but it i mean it 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 was kind of a blow because you know he's the he was always always positive it's like man you know the good die young unfortunately but when you first you guys first started dating and you guys talked about that i had to ask him we didn't talk about that (laughs) I, I innocently asked him what the scar on his neck was. And he looked at me and he kind of laughed. And he goes, ah, you want to know the real story? You want me to make something up? And I was like, I, th- I think I want to know the real story. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I just got some shrapnel on my neck. And I I took that as, yeah, I'll talk about that later. It's fine. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> so we didn't go into it. Um, we did not talk about that. I have never sat him down and said, what did you do? What did you go through? Tell me how it felt. I've never done that. Um, when I met him, I think we both recognized that each other was in a pretty dark place for multiple reasons. And, um, we did not, we did not grill each other on anything. We, kind of kind of immediately became each other's support system um we recognized in each other that we were a safe place to put our feelings for for now and you know you never know when you meet somebody if they're gonna be the one but with him he was always very upfront and honest with me and about everything um and there was no games there was no doubting there was no and that was about everything. That wasn't about like our romantic relationship. That was about his job, his kids, um, his ex-wife. When you meet somebody that's divorced, who oh boy. Well, he told me the first night that we spent time together, he said, she's a good mom. She's always been a good mom. She loves the boys and she takes really good care of them. Good. <laughs> but it's hard when you're hanging out with somebody and they're talking about that stuff but we were very serious pretty quickly. So when it came to the army in the past, I knew that wasn't a place that we could go early in our relationship. And when I first went to his apartment, I saw his purple heart on the wall (laughs) and I was like, is that yours? Yeah. And again, we moved on. We didn't talk about it. And it has taken, it took several years for us to get probably through me knowing most of that stuff because I think it was just, for me, it was just a very, very deep respect of who he is as a person and, and what it's taken to bring him to the point that he was at when we met. 
And I knew there was a lot of layers and there was a lot of factors and there was things that I would learn if he trusted me with them, but I wasn't going to, it would be almost disrespectful to, for me to try to pry into what it took to make him the man that he was when we met. Um, and that's kind of the way that we conducted our relationship. And he didn't grill me on things in my past either. And then when I was ready to share things with him, I did. He, um, he had, there was a lot of stuff early in our relationship. He would talk in his sleep a lot. Um, some of it was really funny. (laughs) I'd tell him the next morning, he's like, I did not. There was some, there was a couple of different times that, um, I, there was probably, he was probably living in a different place, time, flashback type situation. Never anything crazy, um, but definitely things that I knew were just part of who he was and it wasn't I wasn't going to make a big deal about it or ask him what he was talking about or what would you say in that dream that it was just I was um I wanted to be the person that that earned a place in his life and I knew that to be that person I needed to just respect everything that he was and let um let him learn to trust me to be able to share that stuff with me sometimes he would start talking about stuff as he fell asleep and it would kind of be, and he would just fade off in the middle of a sentence, and I'd be like, oh, I was almost about to learn what happened. <laughs> and it was stuff that I, uh, I remember when I finally found out, when I found out who his roommate was, I looked him up on Facebook, I Googled him, and, and you can find stuff about him. You can find the story, you, you can find what happened, um, and his lieutenant. I was very interested, but I did not, I didn't ever ask, so what happened? What's his name? Where does he live? What do you do? Um, and he, he has a very, very unique story and I found that story. (laughs) And when he first told me that it took 450 units of blood, I was like, no, I didn't. That's not, that's not true. Because I thought that's not medically possible, but it did. That man took more blood than I've ever heard of anybody taking and living. It's a record. It is a record. And he's, is, is, can, can you share his, anything about him or no? Nick about, uh, yeah, he was, so he came to our, uh, weird story, so he came to our platoon, uh, he was like a brand new lieutenant, straight out of ranger school, uh, good dude, like absolutely wonderful dude, whenever Chandler was born, whenever my son was born, he, uh, no, it's fine, um, whenever he was born, you know, he was the first one in to come in and congratulate me, just a genuine, genuine dude, um, so the day before we got sent on some like witch hunt, um, I don't remember what it was. It was, it, anyways, we got sent on some witch hunt, and it was before our big mission. And I was like, like just jokingly, I was like, "Hey, sir, let's go out and get our purple. Heart. Let's go out and get you a purple heart today." And I was like, "Oh." And then the next day, I'm like, "Oh my god." <laughs> so that was pretty bad. It was, I think, how we'd went and I think there was some like. I think it was an IED in place or something, and we went out to do something. I don't know. I don't know if the dude had gotten killed, and we went out to like do some stuff, like to do some assessments or whatever on the guy. I don't remember. I don't. I think they might have been watching him from like a camera, and he wound up getting killed. But um, I don't know. We found like an alum round, like from a mortar, 
So it's like, I don't know, it's just, it's got a little parachute on it and it hollowed out. We're like, nobody really knew what it was, but he's like, well, I'll put it in my backpack. I was like, yeah, we're going to get you that Purple Heart today. And it was, it was an expended loom round that, had, you know, just burn out, you know, and just landed somewhere. So we're like, well, we don't want the bad guys get that to make a bomb out of. So, but I don't think anybody's ever known that I, that we talked about him getting a Purple Heart the day before. <laughs> It was horrible. So it, that is horrible to think like that. But. Um, yeah, but that's the jokes that you make. Yeah. In that's those situations. Yeah. yeah. The the Gary Sinise Foundation um, built a house for him and his family. And oh, I remember when I, again, it wasn't something he told me. I I Googled it. <laughs> I searched him because I was very interested in, in who was a part of his life before. And I kept thinking, well, if I figure out what happened to them, maybe that'll help me figure out what happened to him and where he was. And uh, I I found a couple of different times where, you know, his name was mentioned and different things with him. And it it wasn't it wasn't a, about him being mysterious and anything. It was just about. I know that you're inquisitive. I am. Like, I know you're, you're an I inquisitive am. person. So even the fact that you told me you had the wherewithal to like to him respect that boundary, like I still know you, and like you're just like, but I gotta know. <laughs> I really and and I have a a self protective mechanism too because I, I've been we've all been hurt in relationships, you know. And he's the first person, the first man that has um, that things have obviously um, haven't gone poorly with. <laughs> So when I meet him, I got to know if he's going to hurt me because at that point when we met, I, um, I'd been single for quite a while and doing my own thing. And I didn't, I didn't want to be with somebody that was going to mess that up because I was at the happiest place that I had been in a while when we met as far as relationships go, because I was single (laughs) and I was doing my own thing and building myself. Um, and I was, I was getting to a point where I, was starting to believe in myself a little bit. Um, and when I met him, I, I did feel an instant connection with him and we did have an, a pretty, pretty much immediate mutual respect for each other. Just, I think who we are as pers- as, as people. And I, um, but I knew that I needed to give him the time to trust me before we, before we went there. So it took, I would say, I mean, it took a few, couple of years before we got through what I think is probably most of the details. <laughs> but there's also a, there's also a part of me that understands um, that that's who he was before me. And there's been a lot of versions of me. And he doesn't know all the details of everything, every version that I've been in the past. And I'm never going to know all the details of every version that he was before. And that's okay to me. Um, not because I just don't want to know. But because I know that it took a lot of difficult versions of him to be who he is today. It took a lot of tough versions of me. And I think that um, that respect that I have for him is what is a big part of what keeps our relationship um, as, as sacred, I think, as it is. Because there's nobody on the top side of the planet that I trust more or I respect more than, than him. Period. Walk me through probably the most one of the most influential nights of your life that led you to be truly sitting here right now with him, with the wreck of your brother. 
Oh, yeah, I would have never met him if it wasn't for that night. Um, it's crazy when you really think about it in the long game like that. It's, and I, I ha- and I kind of this is how I talk to to friends and coworkers and different things. I have shelves in my mind and I put things in boxes where they need to be on those shelves. Not because I want to suppress them, but because when they're there, I can take them out and deal with them when I'm able to, but I can't take those things out and spread them all over the floor all the time. So the night that brought me to EMS is, it's a big box and I keep it closed because that's the place it needs to be. Um, for the most part. There is there is one group that I talk to, and I tell them my story. It's the Young Traffic Offenders Program in Kansas City. I um, I speak for them, and I've done that for quite a while. And I go and I tell my story, and I have a slideshow that I do, and I call it um, "One Person's Perspective on Life After Trauma." And when I talk to them about that, I say I go in and I say, "This is I want to stress this. This is my perspective. This is what I." have been through this is my perspective after it and I cannot tell you how it's going to be for you if something life-altering happens to you or your family Um, I can tell you what it looks like for me and I can tell you what it looks like for some of my family members but um, I I can't I can't tell everybody what life's going to be like after a trauma like like I went through Um, that night I was living um, I was probably about an hour from where my brother lived at the time and he had gone to, um, he had a couple appointments that day, and he was going to come by my house on his way out of town. Uh, he was going to stop and see me. He was 17 years, years old at the time, um, and he had just bought a really fast motorcycle. Um, he was at a, a high point in his life. He was super, super healthy, physically fit. He had gone to state wrestling. He was the captain of the football team. He had prettiest girlfriend. Um, he had all, he had things going. Um, he was a popular kid. He, he was, uh, good looking, charismatic, all the things. Um, and when he bought that motorcycle, we knew, my family knew that, um, something was going to happen, but we just didn't know when we didn't know how bad he drove like a jerk. (laughs) And my family was not in a very, um, we had a lot of, of family, problems at the time. My, my parents had recently gone through a divorce. Um, and there was, there was a lot, um, that we weren't in a, we weren't in a great place as a family then. Um, and he was on his way to my house. He was doing, he says 120. He doesn't know exactly what speed he was going when he crashed, but he thinks that he maybe got it shut down to 60 or 70 before he impacted the car. Um, he had topped a hill. There was a little dip in the highway. Um, topped a hill that he couldn't see down in the dip. There was a car parked. Well, not parked. There was a car at a stop waiting for a car in front of them to turn. And the car in front of them was waiting for an oncoming car to get by. Um, and so when he saw them, he tries to shut it down real fast. Um, he had texted me when he left town and headed to my place, which should have taken about 15 minutes of a normal speed. And he had texted me and said, leaving town, be there in four minutes. And I knew he's going to drive like a jerk. Just whatever, be careful. Um, and he came over that hill and that car was stopped or, and he couldn't, he couldn't get slowed down. And so he tried to split the, um, he tried to ride the center line, tried to get between the cars and the car, the car that was in his lane, um, he clipped the bumper with his right leg. So his right leg caught 
the bumper of the car just below his knee and it tore his right leg off completely just below the knee. Um, the, that leg, that part of the leg from the knee down was, was left on scene. And that initial impact tore his leg back. Um, and it flipped his body and his, what was left of his motorcycle sideways. It tore his right leg back and it tore him from his groin to his hip on his right side and it tore him open. Um, and then when he flipped sideways, the, uh, the oncoming car that he was going to try to split between hit him broadside on his left side. So when he, when he came down on the, on the pavement, he had open femur and tibia fractures on his left side and he had an open book pelvis fracture. He was missing that part of his right leg and he had organs that were torn, not all the way loose, but a lot of disruption trauma up in his, in his, um, abdominal cavity. He did not, his helmet had come off, but he did not by a true miracle. He did not have a head injury. Um, he was awake right immediately afterwards and he was repeating my dad's phone number over and over. And there was a lady that called my dad who immediately called me. Um, my brother was grabbing onto her hand and he said, pray for me, pray out loud where I can hear you. Um, so she held his hand. She called my dad. My dad called me. And when my dad called me, my dad doesn't call me very often. Um, and when I saw his number, I just felt this, I just knew that it had happened. <laughs> and I got up as I was answering the phone, I got up and st I started putting my shoes on. Um, and he said, Jackson's been in a crash and he was, he was keyed up. He was upset. And he said, Jackson's been on a, a crash. And I said, where is he? And he told me the intersection, which was just a few minutes from my house. And I said, is he alive? And he goes, I think so. They said his legs are really mangled up. I said, okay, I'll be there in just a few minutes. He's like, stay on the phone with me. Talk to me. Tell me what you see. When I was pulling up to the scene, um, an aircraft was, a helicopter was landing. They had called on the way to the crash. The, the details that they had gotten of the crash, they, they called the aircraft pretty quickly. And the helicopter was landing. Um, I got on scene, and I remember feeling like I was outside of my body, like I was just functioning. And everybody has different stress responses, and everybody responds differently on um, to different traumatic events. And I just functioned. It was just an autopilot. I just, I walked up, I parked off the side of the road and I walked up. I could see him. Um, he was probably, I don't know, 20 yards away from me by the time I got up close and a lady grabbed my arm and she said, where are you going? And I was like, that's my brother. I need to get up to my brother. And she said, oh no, honey. <laughs> I said, what can you tell me? Um, and she's, she just shook her head. She didn't know anything. She was a she was a bystander, but they all thought he was dead. Um, after they intubated him, he, the flight nurse told me that his, um, the the med medic initially that got on scene had had cut his shorts on his right side, and his pelvis just fell open like a book. Um, and the flight nurse had reached up into his body cavity and grabbed hold of his femoral artery with her hand to try to, to stop it. He said it was like. Shaking a pop can up and it just sprayed everywhere, just sprayed blood. So everybody that saw anything remotely close thought he was just dead, um, rightfully so. They got him to um, the hospital, the one that I worked at. <laughs> I was not working there yet. I was not in EMS or healthcare at all at the time. And they got him up to that hospital alive, again, by some miracle. Everything that needed to work that day worked. Um, that hospital had just gone level one that day, um, which is another... <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> I was just saying, he was, he was their, uh, 
their first level one trauma patient. And everything had been put in place so recently for them. Um, and they said, hey, we can take them to research. And, and then they went. Um, they, I was about an hour from that hospital. So I started making phone calls. And that is what I did when I stood there and watched them take care of my brother. Uh, I could see him. I could see them working on him. I was close. And they wouldn't let me get up to him. I said, I just want to tell him I love him. I just want him to know that I love him. <laughs> And they were like, we can't let you up there. We can't let you up there. Nobody would make eye contact with me. Nobody would talk to me. Nobody would. Um, and I know they were busy. I know everyone was busy. Um, I remember thinking that day, and I was in all kinds of states of a state of shock, you know, um, mentally. But I remember thinking, I would like to do that job. And I would like to take care of the, the families too. And... I know that's not always practical. You cannot always take care of families on scenes. Um, but I remember thinking, I just need somebody to talk to me. Just please just talk to me. And it wasn't like a frantic, desperate, grabbing at people, causing disruption. I just wanted somebody to look me in the eyes and tell me the truth. If he was dead, I wanted somebody to look me in the eyes and tell me he was dead. I wanted, I wanted a little bit of communication on the, on that scene. And I watched him take off. Um, and I stood there and they they handed me stuff after they left and people started bringing me stuff and brought me his helmet and his phone, his keys or whatever he had, his shoes. And I had his shoes. I remember just, I was squeezing him so tight and I was watching the helicopter take off and a lady, a lady said, are you going to be okay to drive? And I said, I turned and looked at her and I was very practical. I didn't mean to be rude. And I said, what choice do I have? And she was okay, be careful. I said, okay. I was just so, I was weirdly put together and I drove away from that scene and I met a friend in town that rode with me. Um, I had called somebody to make sure that I would have somebody take care of the cows that night because we were in calving season and I needed the calves checked and I needed a phone charger because my phone was going to die. And I called my mom and I called my dad and I called my sister. <laughs> I called my sister and I said, we've got a situation and it's not good. <laughs> That's what so I told her I was very that was the most put together night that I probably had through the whole incident <laughs> um but that was that was the beginning of me deciding that I wanted to be an EMS and when I that next year I went to EMT class I got my EMT license and I didn't know where I was going to fit and I didn't know if I was going to be able to do it and I finally got my job at the hospital when I interviewed for that job I remember her asking me, why here? Why do you want to work here? Because she knew my story. And I sat there, and I'm not advocating for this in a job interview, but I just stared at her, <laughs> and I got little tears in the corner. I didn't cry, but I had tears, and I said, because I need to work here. <laughs> I don't know if that's really something you should hire people on. <laughs> um, maybe they were desperate. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> And I said... It's rock-solid reasoning to <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, it was fine. Because. <laughs> and I said, I said, there's something um, within me that needs to find some purpose in this, in this field. And I gathered up all of my pieces, and I was able to put them into a lot of other people and a lot of other patients. And I was... I surprised myself at how how well those pieces fit into that field. So, um... We had a lot of good times there. Oh, man. <laughs> so many. 
I was, my life was threatened many times there. <laughs> Corey, how has... We'll use your military experience. Well, and your childhood experience. Childhood and military experience played a role in what you do now. How, how has it formed your thought processes and the way you go about things in your career now? I think I'm able to kind of show a little bit of compassion, uh, you know, to some of the people that are... Are you going to try and tell me do you have emotions right now? No, no, but, like, hey, listen, I get it. Like, like if your car's not registered, like, what are you going to do? You're going to pay your registration ticket so you can keep going to work. You're not going to get your car registered. So why am I going to com- compound the problems that you're having... You know, but why well, I'm going to add more to your your cup that's already overflowing with stuff that, and it's just like little things like that, man. Um, if somebody tells me like, yeah, we're we're still going to jail, but like, hey, man, you're the night, like, like you gave me some dignity, you know. Yeah, you're taking me to jail, and I'm yeah, I'm going to have to face the music later, but thanks for you know restoring my dignity. Um. I mean, I don't want to, I mean, there's people that need to go to jail. There's people that need to go to prison. There's people that don't need to be out walking around amongst uh, everybody. But most everybody that, that we, that I interact with, you know, they're good people, man. Uh, well, it's, it's interesting when you guys think about it because you do the same job, essentially. You're both public servants. People love to see you. People hate to see you. Yeah. But you do the same job. It's it's weird when you think about it that way. Yeah. But, I mean, you know. <laughs> so, at the local convenience store, uh, my mom had this. It was a uh, like a baby blue Ford Tempo. Uh, it was probably like an 80-something model. This is like maybe like uh, pretty pushing the year 2000. Uh, and she... And, she couldn't afford to get the car registered. So back then, man, they'd handwrite the temp tags, you know, just change the date on them. And she would go up there, and she'd just burn off a bunch of copies of st- stupid things. Like, she'd just put a piece of tape over it and just make copies. Man, we was poor. And, uh, yeah, it was, you know, so, like, I get it. I get why people, you know, go to, you know, don't want to be harassed by the cops, like, you know, just because they're trying to get by. Um, man, I, I get it. Um, so I try to show those people a little bit of grace, and I don't agree with a lot of, I don't share the same opinion of some guys I work with. Um, that's fine. That's okay. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, it's, it's still going to keep ticking whether we write that ticket or not, um, you know. And they're people, and they have real problems just like everybody else. And, you know, just just because I don this uniform every day, it doesn't make me any better than you. It doesn't make me have any of my struggles aren't any different than yours, you know. Um, it's, it, you know, it's, this is a job. It's not who I am. Like, I'm... Have with his husband, um, a dad, 
and then I do this job. Tabitha husband's a full time job anyway. Yikes. Full time with part time pay. (laughs) 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 But uh, you know what though? That's a that's a really, really healthy way to look at it and we've talked about that on the podcast before about people that get so wrapped up and all they are are the job. Well then at some point you you gotta stop doing the job. Listen, I was gonna gonna wear it forever. I was gonna wear a t shirt. I was gonna support my local barber shop. And she's like, that's what you're going to wear. So no, I, I like, didn't. I just, I did not say anything. I was, just I was like, yeah, I was just going to wear this free t-shirt that I got. Like, So I put on this and get met at the door. Well, say you're a cop without saying you're a cop. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, F you, man. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And just, and I, you know, and I, I mean, I'll never forget, you know, people would come try my mom used to write a lot of hot checks back in the day. Them suckers were rubber. But because I understand why they don't nobody takes checks anymore. But she's she was always in trouble for writing bad checks. Um and it was it was I don't feel like it was ever it was out of it was what she knew it was all she knew how to do to survive, to make you know, make stuff work for for us. Um you know, her my my dad were off and on quite often and I mean, like clockwork, you know, somebody got on a bender right before the holidays and it's like, gee, thanks. We're like we're doing this again. Um and it you know, and that even carried on into my adult life, you know. And I don't know I mean, maybe we could have done a little bit better at uh at you know being there but man, all I wanted to do was just like protect my kids from like that stuff, and like I just want them to have a good example, and I want them to be able to be kids. Um, and they're not going to be able to be kids if they've got to worry about adult problems. So I he he won't he won't tell you my perspective on that because he doesn't see it in the light I do. But the way that he always portrayed his mom to me was always respectful. He was honest about what happened, all the things that had gone on, but he was always respectful about her and his dad. And he never showed his boys all of the bad. We don't talk about it around the boys. Not because it's some big secret, but just because it's not information that needs to go into their futures. And for he was still able to they knew their they knew the grandsons. They they didn't spend a lot of time with them. Um, but part of breaking a cycle, um, is not taking it into the future with you. That's the biggest part of it. And and for him he just didn't give it all of that emotional energy to let it own him and define him. And he hasn't given it the emotional energy to let it define anything anything in, about who his sons are. And they, they don't know. They'll never know that their grandparents were what they were and did what they did. And they, they, don't, they don't have to. And those people did the best that they knew how to do with the resources that they had. Could they have done better? Yeah, sure, probably. Anybody can. Um, we're all given, you know, resources to a point, and they could have done better. They could have done better by him. Um, but he is respectful to them, and he showed them empathy and compassion and was still able to maintain a relationship with them. Um, and his mom was very sick most of her life, too. She was a type 1 diabetic. Whatever the bad one is. What are type the 1 diabetic. Shots? And <laughs> this is a non-medical person. She, yeah. uh, <laughs> the bad one. That real bad one. The sugars. She was. Yeah, I mean, I I can remember like, 
she'd be in like 12 or 13, like she'd, her sugar tank, because she also like, you know, she liked to sleep a lot, like take sleeping pills. And, uh, and she wouldn't take care of herself. And, and he would and she, save and I, her life. And I would, <laughs> literally. I, one time, I can remember this, uh, we didn't have any syrup, we had honey. And I like, got her in a headlock and shoved squirted all this honey in her mouth and it See, gets all medical. over all over her hair all over her face and she nope, comes to she no she comes to and she's like i don't even fucking like honey and yeah like like i just i just saved your life this is the thanks i get i don't even like honey and he was a kid yeah he was a kid, a kid. yeah so you know um but yeah. you know it's it's interesting when you guys just especially with you two, you look back on your past. And to a layperson, I'd be like, I don't want you traumatized, crazy <laughs> motherfuckers helping me. Yeah. And but I wouldn't blame you. But with that, it also almost makes you the most qualified. As fucked up as that is to say. The respect and, and compassion that we both have for human life has come from a place of very, very deep heart for both of us in many different ways and um, layers. <laughs> and I... It is so important for me to give dignity and compassion and empathy and respect to the patients. And I'm talking even the, the bad ones. And I have been mistreated and hit and spit on and cussed at and called all kinds of things. And, and then I have people that tell me, you're really good at your job. Don't ever change. And that, that stuff, that makes it worth it. Because we are able to improve the quality of life for other people. Whether it be people that he stops that are having a terrible day. And he shows them just a little bit of, of grace and makes their day better. Or people that I take care of that just had a really bad day and it's not a serious call and it's not billable <laughs> and it's not much, but their, their life was a little bit better because I got to be in it for a little bit. And, and that's, that makes the job worth it. What advice would both of you have to first responder couples new into relationships to get to the place where you guys are it's not easy clearly but what what advice would you have for them to get the type of love and bond that you guys truly have if you want to see each other get on the same schedule (laughs) if you don't then don't (laughs) we um have a con I, I know I've been harping on respect, but it's a big thing. We have a constant respect for each other and don't meet every situation with an emotional response. If it does not merit an emotional response, don't meet it with an emotional response. That is something that I am still working on. <laughs> I don't have that master. You what? No. <laughs> and, um, Just show, just show some, some grace and some patience. And you have to decide if that person means enough to you to put in that work. Um, because they don't owe you anything. You meet them and they don't owe you anything. You don't come into this relationship deserving anything. You both chose the relationship. So take some accountability for your own actions and your own behavior. And don't give that person more trauma and more dysfunction, and more hurt. Don't set expectations for them that they don't deserve to meet. Don't make them 
um, pay for your past trauma. Don't make them pay for sins that they haven't committed. Um, let, let them be your partner instead of expecting them to give you something you think you deserve. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if that's exactly the way I mean that, but. Yeah. Wash their pants. Oh, wash their uniforms. So much of my laundry. No, just picking up the slack. Like, you know, there's, yeah, there's gender defined roles. Not anymore because it's 2022, but, uh, you know, just. I've been, I've been listening to this other podcast, and it's just, it has nothing to do with EMS, fire, nothing like that. I mean, I don't, or coughing or. <laughs> killing or anything and it's it's actually like but it's a guy and he's uh he's like a professional rodeo athlete and he's like oh my wife told me one time like you know you're really getting down on yourself and you know uh you're showing an awful lot of grace to your horse but you're not showing any grace to yourself and i was like hmm i'll be darned you know so just I think, you know, give yourself a little bit of, cut yourself some slack, cut your partner some slack. Um, I'm not very good at cutting a lot of slack because, like, you're home. Like, uh, let's do home stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, that uh, mountain of laundry. That's her joke. She always says, like, I'm like, well, what do you want to do today? Oh, I figure we just, like, do some laundry. And I'm like, <sighs> and she does it and it pisses me. But it needs to be done. But it does, yeah, because nobody likes to wear smelly, wrinkly clothes. So I'll bring mine over then. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. I the other day I I'll have to be honest with you. I started this like I threw some clothes back in the dryer, put it on steam refresh, so the boys wouldn't have some wrinkled ass clothes. And like she just I did that. I think it ran all day on steam refresh. Like it would turn off and then like turn back on. If he was trying off, to send me a message, on. no, it wasn't to send I her didn't a message. Get it. <laughs> because I let it do that like all day, and then she folded them like the next day, wrinkled. <laughs> Maybe I send him a message. <laughs> but no, just. Just do your part, man. Just a, do your A big story. thing that I need to work on, this is not advice that I'm giving because I need to work on it. I give the people that I work with a huge amount of compassion and empathy and grace. I meet them in a very, very respectful point, and I should save some of that for him. I should save some of the way that I treat the people that I work with, and I should take it home, and I should treat him that way more often. He um, doesn't deserve to get my leftover emotions just because I have poured everything that I have into the people that I work with. He doesn't deserve that. And I need to save some of the respect and the empathy and the compassion and the intuition and the everything else. I need to save those skills that I use at work and I need to take them home. Corey, final thoughts? I'm just happy to be here. He's here no. so you won't get fined? Yeah. No. Uh, 
like I, like I said earlier, you know, something stuck with me and, you know, you're going to love this job, but it's not going to love you back. You know, they're going to where it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're sacking groceries. It doesn't matter if you're flipping hamburgers. It doesn't matter if you're putting shingles on roofs, shoveling horse shit, doing whatever. Like they're going to keep taking as much as they can for as little as they want. And, you know, if, if you allow them to continue to, to take from you, you know, they're going to, they're going to take as much as they can get from you. So, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta take care of yourself and you gotta take care of the things that are important to you because, you know, that place was running and humming before you got there and it's still going to keep on taking whenever you're done. So, you know, go home and take it off, you know, take, take the shirt off, take the, you know, take the boots off, you know, kind of leave leave work at work where you can, you know, it's good to, I think it's good to get home and talk about things. Um, I, I deal with things a lot differently than my wife deals with things. Um, I just, I try to dissociate myself from like the human aspect of the bad things that I see. Uh, I don't know if it's healthy or not. I, that remains yet to be uh, seen, but, uh, you know, there's, I I try not to get too attached, and I think that helps me be able to continue to do what I do. Um, you know, it, there's some sucky parts of the job, and uh, but overall, it's it's a good job. It's a good noble career, and just you know, if if you want to if if you want to see each other, get on the same schedule. <laughs> no, it, it's. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of give and take, you know, like I said, they're going to keep calling and asking for more all the time. And at some point you just got to say, no, I try to, I try to help her protect her time with the family because in the summertime she was humping. She was <laughs> good grief. I can I don't know. I think there's a lot of people that still don't believe that I'm married. Which, I don't know. I mean, but it's, you got to defend them. You just got to, you know, don't go and bitch and moan to your buddies about the, you know, what your partner is, is or is or isn't doing, you know, I guess you probably need somebody to talk to about it every once in a while, but, you know, still at the end, you know, after you say all those things, you get it all off your chest, be like, but she's a really good person or he's a really good person. She's doing it for the right reasons, so. Tap. Um, I'll give a little bit of contrast to that because we do deal with things in very, very different ways. And I think something that I've tried to learn is if it's not, if somebody else deals with something differently than you, that's, it's not for you. Make sure that you respect people's processes. We've learned each other's processes are very different and that's okay. And give yourself grace to get through things and process things. Lean into your grief sometimes. Um, feel it. You can't 
bottle it up. You can't put it on a shelf forever. I put it on a shelf until I'm able um, to deal with it. I take it out in pieces. But don't leave it there forever. And find the way that works and deal with it that way. Don't try to take somebody else's advice as exactly how it should work for you. Um, I feel things differently than he does. And for those reasons, I'm able to help other people with their processes that he doesn't understand. And he's able to meet other people in places that I don't understand. And that's okay. Be patient with that. And don't expect that you're just supposed to know how it works. Because you don't. All of us in this room deal with things differently. And that is okay. That is the beauty of the field that we are in. Because there is beauty. There is true beauty in the field that we are in. And the the value that I have for human life doesn't change. No matter come or go as it may, whoever I'm working with, whatever the day brings, whatever calls I run, it does not the way that I feel about humanity does not change. I respect it and I value it deeply and just let each person that you come across, um, process those things in their way and help them through that. If you can, because when you help somebody else get through their process, you will find that you are actually helping yourself get through your process. Jeremy. Pass. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> what? I get to be you for today. You don't look as good as me. Um, what? A face for radio and a voice for silent movies? <laughs> I've been waiting like a week to say that. <laughs> I like it. It's a good line. Every now and then I get a get a gem, little nugget. Um, One time no. like 18 episodes. Yeah. Well, you know, law of averages. <laughs> Um, no, I just, uh, yeah. And we didn't even get to the leadership portion. I guess she has to come back. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, no, I just, you know, everything that you guys have been through and then coming tonight and sharing, I really appreciate it. Um, invaluable lessons for everybody. Um, not the least of which is, you know, being first responders and having a healthy stable relationship because you know that's few and far between um yeah just awesome thank you guys thank you for having us yeah thanks for having us i've you guys have been my friends you for a while it seems like with Corey, it's been for a while just because i think i like it more than you anyway i don't blame you but i think even just with talking tonight the level of respect I have for you as professionals, you as friends, and your marriage has just been reinforced and gotten so much stronger for me. Thank you. That's a compliment. Thank you. So, it, uh, you guys are doing it right. Thank you. So, if only we could get rich doing it. Boy. (laughs) By God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tabitha Corey, thank you. Um, it's been awesome. Um, Jeremy, what do you say at the? I, for, I don't pay attention to it. I, I oh, really you don't. done fucked up now. I don't. I don't pay attention to the end part. Come on, bro. Um, 
Shit. Uh, oh, 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 it came back to me. Okay. It, I, oh, I don't do it regularly, so it's hard. Oh, boy. If you would spend more time paying attention while you're sitting back here to what's actually going on in front of the camera instead of playing on Facebook and your phone. Listen, there's a lot to do back there. Okay. Really? Yeah. yeah. Really? Looks yeah. like a heavy job back there. It is. There's it's, a lot of buttons to push. That's the problem. You need to stop pushing buttons. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is fine. It's set the way it is. Stop. As we end every episode, if you guys are struggling, reach out. There are resources available. Um, if if you're in marriages, you know, find people you look up to and, and talk with them and learn not necessarily even how to improve your marriage, but just grow it with your partner. Um, if you're seeing somebody struggle, reach out, you know, be, be that first responder they need, not necessarily in uniform, but even just a friend too. Um, as always, thanks for stopping by.